Welcome to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. The Crossing Church exists to see every person restored to God and to the life He created them to live. And we want to walk through this journey with you. If you need help, prayer of any kind, or if you give your life to the Lord today, send us an email at church@thecrossing.cc. We would love to hear from you so a member from our care team will reach out to see how we can walk through life with you. We're so glad that you've joined us today. Enjoy the message. What an honor it is to be with you this morning. Um, if it is your first time joining us, I'm so glad you're here. My name is Pastor Christine, and I'm the equipped pastor here at The Crossing. And no, I'm sorry, I, I, I'm not as suave as Pastor Randy. I don't mean to disappoint, um, but I assure you he will be back very soon. And so, uh, would you help me take a second to honor our senior pastor? We love you and we miss you. And we hope you have a fantastic Sunday off, resting and relaxing. Um, there's one thing that I do want to tell you about. Um, I used to be communications director here at the church for many years, so I am gifted in the art of announcements. And uh, there's one thing I wanted to share with you because uh, it's one of my favorite things that I get to be a part of here at the church. And you may have heard about it, you may not have, but we have a Wednesday night service. And it is every Wednesday, uh, we do take breaks for the first Wednesday worship nights that we do, but we meet right here in this room every Wednesday at 7 p.m. And it's called Kingdom Life. And Kingdom Life is fantastic because it's based out of the verse in Colossians that says, and he's transferred us from the kingdom of darkness into the kingdom of his glorious light. And so what we talk about in Kingdom Life is we talk about what it means to be people who live in this world, but are citizens of the kingdom of God. And how does that change the way that we live out our daily life. And so these uh, past couple weeks, we've been talking about freedom. And this coming Wednesday at 7 p.m., we have the DeChambriers coming in to talk about freedom, and it's gonna be so powerful. And then our next series that we're gonna be talking about in May is we're talking about kingdom families. We're talking about what a marriage looks like in the kingdom of God, what parenting can look like in the kingdom of God, what friendships and relationships with family looks like in the kingdom of God. So we do that every Wednesday at 7 p.m. right here in this room. We would love to see you there. It's open to everybody. So that's my only announcement I've got for you. Thank you for tolerating me. I will close the chapter to that book. I'll put on my pastor hat again now that I've switched out of that. So I thought it was funny, you know, as I was um, preparing for today and I sat down to start talking about today's subject, I thought that it was funny and not the tiniest bit ironic that Pastor Randy asked me to talk about the topic of repentance. If you know anything about me, you know that I have four children and I have mastered the art of telling people that they need to say, I'm sorry, okay? I say it a lot. I tell my children all the time, Please say you're sorry for kicking your sibling in the shin. Please say you're sorry for licking the window. Please say you're sorry for doing all of these kinds of things. It's just all the time. So I am, I like sat down to start working on this message and I was like, oh, this just kind of flows. Like, you know, I'm just really great at doing that. No, I'm just kidding. But when I do tell my kids that they need to apologize or that they need to repent, right? 
Sometimes it elicits different responses out of them. Sometimes they're very eager to say they're sorry. They recognize that what they've done is hurt their sibling. And, you know, before I even have to say anything, they're, they're trying to make an apology. And then there's other times, especially with my youngest, she's two, and she's got that, like, blank stare that she got from me. And, uh, and I tell her, Annie, you need to say sorry. And she just looks at me. And she acts like she all of a sudden speaks a different language and she has no idea what I'm telling her to do. She's just adorable. But when it comes to the topic of repentance, the same thing happens in a room like this. It elicits different responses inside of different people. And some of us are all about it. We, we recognize the value in it. We seek to do it eagerly. Other people are kind of like, mm, take it or leave it, really couldn't care less. And then there's other people who are just vehemently opposed to the idea of apologizing or saying, I'm sorry, or repenting to the Lord. But here's the thing when it comes to repentance. Repentance is a foundational part of the Christian faith. It's a foundational part of the Christian faith. So much so that when the disciples asked Jesus to teach them how to pray, Jesus added repentance into the prayer. Father, forgive me of my sins. And he prays that first before he then can forgive others of their sins. Father, forgive me of my debts as I forgive those who have debts against me. It's a vital part of the Christian faith. And so my hope today is that as we talk about what repentance is, that we come to a better understanding of what God's intentions are for biblical repentance and what it actually does to transform the Christian life. Amen? Amen. So I wanna invite you to turn in your Bibles to the letter to the Hebrews. This is in the New Testament, maybe a little bit more than halfway through. And our verses today, we're going to be in chapter 5, starting in verse 12. And this is the verse that will cover all of this uh, topic that we're talking about, this series that Pastor Randy has us in, where we are laying the foundations for the Christian life. And this is what the word of the Lord says. It says, for though... By this time, you ought to be teachers. You have need again for someone to teach you the elementary principles of the actual words of God. And you've come to need milk and not solid food. For everyone who partakes only of milk is unacquainted with the word of righteousness, for he's an infant. But solid food is for the mature who, because of practice, have their senses trained to distinguish between good and evil. Therefore, leaving the elementary teachings about Christ, let us press on to maturity, not laying again a foundation of repentance from dead works and a faith toward God of instruction about washing and laying on of hands and about the resurrection of the dead and eternal judgment. Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your word, which is life to our spirit. Lord, it transforms our hearts and our minds and helps us to come to know you better. Lord, I ask that today as we talk about what your word 
shows us about the topic of repentance, Lord, that you would help us to have ears to hear, Lord, and a heart to receive what you desire for your children. Thank you that you are a good God and that you give good things to your children. Lord, we love you and we honor you and we bless you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Amen. Ultimately, y'all know I love my context, so I'm gonna give you a little bit of context about Hebrews and who wrote it and the audience that received it. We don't actually know who wrote the letter to the Hebrews. It was either an apostle or it was somebody that was closely associated with the the apostles, very closely associated. Some, Some people say maybe Paul, some people say maybe Barnabas, but ultimately we don't know who wrote it, but we do know that it's a very, very pastoral letter. It's a very pastoral letter. And the audience that was receiving it, they were Christ followers who had lived their whole lives as Jews and had been converted to Christ followers. And so they were familiar with the Old Testament scripture like the back of their hand, especially the first five books of the Bible. And so the whole purpose of the letter to the Hebrews is that this author is is pointing back to the Old Testament and he's saying every story, every historical figure, every priest, every person who existed back then, Christ is better. And he's the fulfillment of everything that they couldn't be. He is the ultimate and the superior to all of them. And so this is the hope for us as Christ followers. That's the purpose of the letter. And so what I lovingly nicknamed these people who knew so much about scripture and yet were struggling in their faith walk was seasoned saints. They're seasoned saints, all right? They've been at this for a while, okay? They got a lot of head knowledge, but they're actually struggling with spiritual maturity. And what we see happening is that the author of Hebrews is telling them, he's saying, even though you're seasoned saints, you have failed to build upon the foundational matters of the Christian faith. You've you've neglected the foundation. And because they've not grown in spiritual maturity, they're having trouble distinguishing between good and evil. And so then they've gotten things in their lives out of alignment. And so they have over-prioritized the things that are not of God, not necessarily bad things, but things that are not of God. And they've undervalued the actual words of God. And so he's saying, we got we to gotta go back and we got to lay the foundation again. And just if you live in a house, you know, foundations are very important. Okay. You got to do that walk around the exterior and make sure there's no cracks right on the corners that there's not a part of your house that's going to crumble because the foundation wasn't solid. You got to make sure there's no moisture coming up from the bottom so that things aren't growing on the inside that shouldn't be growing. You've got to pay attention to the foundational things because everything that you build up on that foundation is liable to crumble if your foundation's not solid. 
And so even though this letter is to seasoned saints, this is a great thing for people of all ages in the faith to pay attention to because it's easy for us to grow a little lazy. It's easy for us to neglect the foundational things and to miss something. And then we, like the Hebrew people, we would get something overvalued that's not of God. And then we begin to undervalue the things that are actually of God. We want to pay attention to this. And so as we talk about the topic of repentance today, laying the foundation of the importance of repentance, I want us to be on the same page about what it is and what it isn't because this is a very important place to start. Repentance is to change your mind. That's what it means. It means to change your mind about a, a thought that you have formed or a purpose that you have formed or about an action, about a behavior that you're doing. And so repentance, we often think about as repenting from bad behavior, a decision that you've made, an action you've done, but it's not just that, it's about your way of thinking as well. Repenting of thinking wrongly about something or like the Hebrew people, valuing something more than Christ. That's a form of repentance. And so then repentance is the feeling of remorse for an area of our lives being out of alignment with God's best for our lives. And that's what repentance really is. But I want you to understand repentance is not shame-based. Repentance is not shame-based. There is a big difference between shame and condemnation for sin and the conviction that the Holy Spirit brings for sin. There's a difference Sin and the shame that goes with it, that comes from Satan. And Satan will want you to feel shame and condemnation so that he can keep you entrapped to the sin and prevent you from finding freedom from it through repentance. But the Holy Spirit brings a conviction that when you respond to it actually leads you into freedom. And so then repentance leads to freedom not condemnation and shame. So that is what repentance is and what repentance isn't. But I understand even just when we talk about the subject of repentance, this idea of being wrong and needing to repent of something you've done, even that in and of itself can trigger some tension in our lives maybe based on past experiences. And this is a really common thing that we can do as humans, as fragile people. We can take our human experiences, the way that we were raised as children or or interactions that we've had in various relationships, and then we can project those things onto God and think that that is how he's going to treat us. That's how he's going to feel about us. That's how he's going to react to us, especially when it comes to the topic of repentance. And as I was writing this message out, I felt like the Lord was putting on my heart this particular issue because if you've had maybe a harsh parent 
who when you did something wrong, treated you harshly, then when it comes to repentance, you anticipate the Lord's response being harsh and overly critical with you. Or maybe growing up, you were forced to apologize a lot for things that you didn't do wrong. Or maybe you were wrong in an action and you were made to feel a lot of shame and condemnation from someone. But I I, I say those things because I do think that the Lord who is in this room right now wants to meet us in this exact moment and he wants us to understand just how he feels about us especially when it comes to the topic of repentance. I want you to know that even when we've done something that breaks the Lord's heart, or if there's an area in our lives where we have settled for less than his best for us, he is so kind and he is so gentle and he is so loving, and he is so merciful, and he is so good in a way that literally no human has ever been. And I can tell you from experience, when the Lord has convicted me in areas of my life where I have settled for less than his best, it has been by his kindness that he's led me to repentance, which is what scripture says. I can tell you when I've heard his voice, it's been the kindest and softest whisper, not of condemnation, but of actually an invitation to say, hey, I actually want so much more for you than this area. We've actually, we've gotten this backwards. And if you'll trust me, I'll lead you into something better. And so if this is an area in your life where you have struggled, where you have, you have associated an experience growing up at any point and you've projected that onto God and that's who you think that he is, I actually, I wanna invite you right in this moment to, to just pause and take a deep breath. Maybe close your eyes for, for just a second And ask the Holy Spirit if he would help you come to know just how much your heavenly father loves you. Just how gentle and kind he wants to be with your heart. Even when we're talking about things that have made him sad, he's not angry, he's not mad. He loves you unconditionally. And what I know is that this heavenly father, he comes low to his children. And when he looks at you, there is kindness in his eyes. And so father, I thank you. 
I thank you that even in this moment, Lord, you are gonna bring healing to hearts that have felt like they had to withhold themselves from you out of fear and out of previous experiences. Father, I thank you that your kind and gentle hands are reaching out to us, Lord, that you are the one who binds up our wounds and you are the one who mends our broken hearts, Lord. I thank you that you are so much better You are so much more loving and you are so much more gentle than we could ever imagine. Lord, thank you that you are helping us to come to know you better in this moment. Lord, we love you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Well, we're gonna get into our points of what repentance looks like lived out practically in our Christian walk. And so I want to take a look at a story to kind of put these pieces together. So if you have your Bibles with you, would you turn with me to Luke chapter 19? And if you don't, that's perfectly fine. You can read it on the screen behind me, but we are gonna take a look at the story of Zacchaeus. And I love this story because there's not a lot of detail that's in it, but what we do see is Jesus's power at work, even in just such a little section, he does some major things in Zacchaeus's life. And so let's read the story together and then we'll start to unpack it. This is what it says. It says, Jesus entered Jericho and was passing through. And behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. He was a chief tax collector and was rich. He was seeking to see who Jesus was, but on account of the crowd, he could not because he was small in stature. So he ran on ahead and climbed up into a sycamore tree to see him for he was about to pass that way. And when Jesus came to the place, he looked up and said to him, Zacchaeus, hurry and come down for I must stay at your house today. So he hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And when they saw it, they all grumbled. He has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And Zacchaeus stood and said to the Lord, behold, Lord, the half of my goods I give to the poor. And if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. And Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he also is a son of Abraham. For the son of man keeps came to seek and to save the lost. Amen? Amen. So if you are taking notes, there's three things that I want you to write down that take part when we experience true biblical repentance. And the first thing is this, recognition. We come to recognize that there is an area in our lives that does not align with God's intention for our lives. Now, in the story of Zacchaeus, Zacchaeus is a tax collector. He is a chief tax collector. In the same way that Matthew, the uh, disciple of Jesus, was a tax collector, Zacchaeus is also one. So they're kind of one and the same. But except a chief tax collector is like real hated, okay? Like, lower than the lowest piece of dirt that exists on the earth. That is how people feel about Zacchaeus because Zacchaeus, though he is a Jew, he works for the Roman government. 
And Rome came and conquered Israel. And so now they're subject to Caesar and all of the things that go with that. And so this man who was conquered now works for the one who conquered. And being a tax collector, that means that he goes around to his fellow Jews and he tells them, you owe this much to Caesar. Except what he'll usually do is he'll tell them that they owe more than they actually do. And then he'll skim the extra off the top and line his own pockets. And then send to Caesar what Caesar has asked for. So he's made himself rich by essentially being a traitor to his own people and stealing from them. And so that's who this man is. And what we don't see is that Zacchaeus comes to Jesus and he falls at his feet and he repents of his sin. That's not what we see, though we see that happening in other stories where people come to Jesus and they they fall down and they need his saving. No, what we see in Zacchaeus is that he's just curious. He just wants to see who this celebrity is that has maybe a little bit more power than he does, who Jesus is. And so he climbs up this tree not expecting that Jesus is going to call him out. But the thing is, Jesus, when he came into Jericho, he knew that he had a date with Zacchaeus. He knew long before Zacchaeus even caught his attention that Jesus was on his way to meet him. And I wish that we had the conversation at Zacchaeus's house recorded. And I'm so sad that we don't. I think that's gonna be something I ask Jesus when I stand before him is, what did you say at Zacchaeus's table? How did you lay out the gospel? How did you tell him about yourself and about the kingdom of God? But what we do see is that Zacchaeus is transformed in the presence of Jesus. Because here's the thing, when it comes to recognition of our sin, the recognition of our sin increases with proximity to Christ. Recognition of any area in our life that is out of alignment with Christ is revealed the closer we get to him. And that's because we come to see ourselves more authentically in the light of his pure holiness. And so here is this thief and a a tax collector and suddenly he is standing in the presence of the son of God. He can't help but recognize, I've got some major issues. (laughs) I got some stuff I gotta work on. And I, I think this is something that all of us experience as we draw closer to Christ. And we draw closer to Christ by doing things like getting into the word of God and not just reading it for a check mark, but actually taking it in and allowing it to search our hearts and to do a work. We do this through prayer, by actually talking to God and building a relationship with him and not just prayer, but also listening listening to say, Lord, is there anything that you want to impress upon my heart? Lord, anything that I'm missing? Is there anything, Lord, that you see in my life that needs a little bit of help? And then actually waiting, 
waiting to see if the Lord shows you something. And it also comes through being in community that's running after righteousness, that's running after the Lord. All of these are ways that we can mature in our spiritual walk and we can draw closer to God. But I want you to be really careful because I think we can do the same thing that the audience in Hebrews was doing because I think they might've had this thing that Paul writes about in 2 Timothy where you kind of get itching ears. And rather than paying attention to the actual words of God, you start to accumulate for yourselves people who are using the word of God, but only to make us feel good about the things that we want to feel good about. Rather than actually drawing close to the presence of Christ and being a little bit uncomfortable with what his holiness reveals about ourselves, well, instead we just let other people tell us what the holiness of God might be revealing rather than getting into it ourselves. But I want you to understand social media influencers and bloggers and devotion reels, they don't speak for God. They don't. And your news media preferred type of choice, it doesn't speak for God. Only God's word actually speaks for God. And so it's so important we be in it. We've got to be in it because that is what transforms lives and it's what changes hearts. We've got to fill our minds with the actual word of God, spending time in prayer and listening. And the Holy Spirit will gently help us recognize areas in our lives where we need to repent. And I'm telling you this because I've had to do it myself. I've had to do it myself. There was a time, and this is just one of many, (laughs) one of many times where the Lord was leading me into repentance and he brought to my recognition an area in my life where I was really struggling and I had just graduated college. I was in my young 20s and I was uh, volunteering at this church on the worship team. And man, I started to really struggle with jealousy like like really struggle. I was having a hard time. And I remember wanting to serve the Lord faithfully in everything that I was doing. And I loved him with all of my heart. It wasn't that I was like living in sin and this was just one of the many things that came with it. But no, as I was seeking to serve the Lord and I was drawing close to him, this area in my life just became more and more pronounced. And so I began to ask the Lord, Lord, would you help me in this area? I don't want to struggle with jealousy. And it was like the the more that I tried to push it down, and even though I was repenting, I was still struggling with it. The more I tried to push it down, the harder it became to deal with it. And so when the Lord brings conviction in an area in our lives, no matter what that is, whether it's an action or it's a mindset or something that you're struggling with, 
The second thing that you've got to do, and this is super practical, okay, you've got the recognition of the sin. The second thing you've got to do is you've got to actually repent, okay? It's not just enough to recognize that you have the sin. It wasn't just enough for me to be like, oh man, I'm really struggling with jealousy. Oh well, you know, and just go on about ministering. No, like I, this was a thing. This is an area that needed to be worked on. And I needed to repent of my thoughts and, and the issues that it was causing. And this is the thing. A lot of times we get the conviction, but then we're just kind of like, mm, whatever. No, we've got to actually repent. Sometimes it's super easy. Sometimes repenting comes right away and we recognize, absolutely, Lord, you are right. I have settled for less in this area of my life. Lord, I'm so grateful that you brought that to my attention. Father, would you help me? Would you help me to be better in this area? And then there's other times where the Lord brings conviction of something. And rather than it being easy, it actually feels like you are beginning to pull up a weed in your life whose roots are so entangled around all of these different areas. It actually feels painful and it feels difficult. Both are okay. Both are okay. When it comes to repentance, sometimes it's gonna be super easy. But then sometimes the Lord's gonna bring attention to something that has grown in our lives for way too long. And it's gonna be hard. It is gonna be hard, but it's okay. It's okay because what we can trust when it comes to repentance is that God's way is the good way. We can trust in repentance that God's way is the holy way, that God's way is the righteous way, that God's way is the perfect way. And this is what we've got to begin to tell ourselves when it comes to repentance, especially when it's hard. Because the challenge that we're gonna come up against when it is hard is, am I going to try to bring God down to my level? And we're just gonna pretend like all of this is okay and, and we're gonna, we're gonna kind of lessen the importance of repentance in this area or am I actually gonna rise to the level that God is asking me to rise to? This is the challenge. And it, I'm, I'm not talking about anything that has not been going on since Adam and Eve. This is the problem that we have as humans experienced for so, so long because this is the question that we see in Genesis chapter three when a very conniving and convincing and sly enemy comes into the garden of God and he is standing before Eve and he said, did God really say? Did he I mean, is that what he meant though? I know it's what he said, but is it what he meant, you know? Like what else could he have meant by it? And this is the temptation. When we experience conviction and that feeling of surrendering this area, this feeling of rising to God's level and not asking him to come down to mine. This is the challenge. This is the question that starts going off 
in our heads is, well, is it really that important? Did God really say, is it really that big of a deal? And here's the thing. He was so conniving and so convincing to Adam and Eve who lived in the garden of God who walked in the presence of God face to face, who lived in perfect harmony with God and with every living thing, if he could convince them, what makes us think that he couldn't try to convince us? And so when we feel that conviction that challenges our way of thinking, do we start saying, Oh, well, it's really, you know, God, hmm, I mean, it's just, that's just irrelevant. It's so old, it's antiquated. I mean, it's just archaic and it doesn't really mean what people have said it means. And so it's really not that big of a deal. And so it's God's word that's out of alignment with science. It's God's word that's out of alignment with psychology. It's God's word that's out of alignment with how we do things in our culture today. It's God's words that's the problem. If you start thinking that when you experience the conviction of the Holy Spirit over some sin in your lives, I hope red flashing lights and some sirens start going off in your brain because that is the enemy showing up to say, did God really say Did he really say it matters though? He really did say it matters. He really, really did. Because here's the thing, when we start thinking that, when we are challenged in our repentance and we hear the voices of our culture and of the darkness telling us, no, you can decide for yourself what's good you can decide for yourself what's best. I want you to remember this. The God of our universe who literally created the ground that you walk on and the air that you breathe, the one who knew the first man standing in the garden and who knows the name of the man who will be standing at the end of the age, the one who has been the same yesterday, today, and forever. His goodness and his holiness has been the same forevermore. And you and I, we don't get to determine what's good. His goodness has endured forever. And it has never changed. And so we don't ask a holy God to come down to our imperfect level. When he convicts our hearts, we repent and we rise to his level of holiness. We rise to his occasion because we don't determine what's right. God determines what's right because he's righteous. He is righteousness. We don't determine what's good because God alone is goodness. We don't bring him down. He's asking us to rise up. Amen? And when it feels difficult, we will do the difficult thing because his word invites us to be holy as he's holy. That's the call of his children. Be holy as I'm holy. And he doesn't just say, go and do it. 
be holy. Good luck. Now he leads us. He leads us into holiness through conviction, through recognition, and through repentance. And so when the Lord revealed that area of my life, when I was serving and I was really struggling with jealousy, this was not an easy thing to repent of. It was actually really, really hard because I felt like I kept asking the Lord to help me But every time I would go back to serve at this church, man, it would just be there. It was kind of just following me around and I just couldn't be free from it. And I felt like the Lord told me, Christine, if you wanna be free, you gotta go tell her that you're jealous. You've gotta go and confess your sin to the person that you've been struggling with. And I was like, "Mm, maybe I like it more than I thought I did. Maybe, you know, maybe we'll just let it hang around. You know, like, uh, no thanks. I don't feel like doing that. But here's the thing about repentance. Sometimes it's easy And then sometimes the things in our lives that are so deeply rooted, they're deeply rooted because we have kept them repressed and we have kept them hidden and we have kept silent and we have refused to actually acknowledge an area that we are struggling. And here's the thing, he can't heal what we won't reveal. And so there are areas where you've received conviction, but because you have refused to open your mouth and confess it to somebody, it's still got power. It's still got power in your life. And so I went to her and even though it was embarrassing and it was painful and it was hard and I felt weak, I told her, and she had never done a thing to me. She was the sweetest girl in the whole world. It was just me. Hi, I was the problem. And I told her, I said, I have been struggling with jealousy toward you and you have done nothing to cause this. It is my issue. And I am asking for forgiveness. And then... I'm gonna pray a blessing over you and your call and the call of God on your life and the ministry that he has put on your life for you to do. Because here's the thing, jealousy wants what the other person has, right? And so to break off the power that jealousy had on my life, I spoke it out loud And then I blessed her ministry and it broke the power of jealousy in my life. It cut it off because it acknowledged it's it's not there anymore. And there are people in this room who you've been praying and repenting and asking the Lord, would you please help me? I can't break this off today. When our prayer teams come up, This is your moment. This is your moment to open up your mouth and to say, I have been struggling. I have 
this conviction and I can't seem to get free. I want you to voice the thing that you have been battling with, that you've experienced the conviction. And I want you to let one of our prayer team members help you receive freedom today. Because you've got the recognition and you've got the heart for repentance. Our prayer team members are gonna help you step into that third thing because once we repent, once we recognize, no, God alone is on the throne. I'm not asking him to come down off his throne to my level. I'm actually gonna rise to the occasion. Then that brings the third thing. And the third thing is this, it's transformation. And not just that, it's a reversal of behavior. It reverses what happens in our life. We were headed in this direction, but we've changed our minds. Now we're going in God's direction. This is what true biblical repentance is. It leads to a transformed way of thinking and living. True biblical repentance. This is what you see happen in Zacchaeus's life. He's in proximity to Jesus. He recognizes his sin. He repents of it and he says, Lord, I'll give half of everything that I've got. It doesn't matter to me now like it did before. And not only that, if I have stolen from anybody, which he had, there was no if, the man had stolen from people. He's saying, I will repay it four times over. Because no longer was his identity centered in who he was as a chief tax collector. No longer was his identity centered in the power that he had over people. He had come into proximity near Jesus Christ and he saw himself authentically in the light of the glory that shone from Jesus. And suddenly nothing else mattered. Lord, I recognize my wrongdoing and I will make this right. I will make it right. And I want us to understand it was not Zacchaeus's work that brought him salvation, okay? In the same way that Jesus is not saying Zacchaeus's work, the thing that you're now doing, giving back money, that's not what brought you repentance. He had the same message for the Pharisees who were on the opposite spectrum, who were so self-righteous that they couldn't even recognize their need for a savior because they were doing so many good works that they thought that was enough. What Jesus was saying was, no, you recognize your need for me. You recognize your need for a savior. And that is what is saving Zacchaeus. That is what is transforming Zacchaeus. Because here's the thing, if good works were enough, God never would have needed to send his son. Good works have never been enough. And that is why we have Jesus. And that's why the author of Hebrews, when he writes this, he doesn't say repentance from bad works. He says repentance from dead works. 
Repentance from dead works. Our works can't save us. It doesn't matter how good of a person we try to be. It doesn't matter how accepting we try to be. It doesn't matter how charitable we try to be. It is repentance from dead works. Dead works. Because to boast in our own goodness as though it does anything to put us in better standing before God than the blood of Jesus is to actually steal glory from God himself. It is to set up an idol of something dead before God and say this, my works, my goodness, my you know, love for everybody has more power than the blood of Jesus. That is what worship of our works does. Our works are dead, but I'm gonna be honest with you, all thanks be to God because my heart and my flesh fail constantly. No matter how good I try to be, I start driving down 45 and it's just a hopeless situation, okay? And I walk onto this place and I ask for sanctification up at the altar and you know, and then you start again. But all glory to God because it's not dependent on my works. It's not dependent on me or on you by any means. He made provision for us through Jesus Christ that we may be reconciled to God forever. And I'm so glad he did. I am so glad that he did. And so then any good work that I ever do, any good thing that I ever try to pursue, I am doing it then out of the overflow of a heart that has been transformed by the work of God. Not because I think my work will put me in better standing with God. I've already been put in the best standing with God through the blood of Jesus. You've already been put in the best standing with God through the blood of Jesus. And so it doesn't depend on me. So we're compelled then to go and do good things out of an identity that is centered not around being a self-made individual, but of being the handiwork of God. You were made in Christ Jesus, not yourself. You were made in Christ and now you are God's handiwork. And this is the kind of thing that you see happening in Zacchaeus's life. And this is why I love this story because you see that he comes to know in Jesus's presence, in close proximity, the recognition of his sin and the repentance that's needed and it compels him then to reverse course. And this is what we all need. This is what we all need like Zacchaeus. We need to encounter Jesus and what he brings with salvation and mercy and kindness and love that transforms our hearts.
Amen? This is what we get to do as believers. This is what true biblical repentance looks like in our lives. And so with all of this, I'm gonna invite you to bow your head and to close your eyes. And I'm gonna give you a couple different opportunities to respond to today's message because I know so many of us are in different different areas of our lives. Some of you guys in here, you associate with the audience in the book of Hebrews. You'd consider yourself a seasoned saint. You've been at this for a while and maybe you've lost your fervor or your burden for repentance and how important that is to the Christian walk. Sometimes as seasoned saints, we can get so active and so busy doing spiritual things that we actually neglect to check the foundation. And so if that's you, I wanna invite you in this moment to repent before the Lord and to ask him again to draw you close, to bring you into closer proximity. Maybe you're in this room and you are keenly aware of an area where the Holy Spirit has been convicting you and you have been resisting his leading. Maybe you've chosen for yourself what will be good for you despite God impressing upon you otherwise. I'm gonna ask you in this moment to respond to the Holy Spirit. In this area where you have felt conviction, would you respond and surrender this area to his lordship today? And this third and last one is for anyone in the room who has seen yourself authentically through the light of his holiness. And you realize all of your good deeds and all of the ways that you've tried to do the right thing really don't amount to much in light of your need for a savior. You recognize today that you need to receive the grace and mercy of Jesus who died on the cross for all of our sins. And if that's you in this room, I'm gonna ask you to pray with me. I'm gonna ask everybody in this room to say this prayer together. I'll say the first part and you can repeat after me, but we're just gonna say, Heavenly Father, I am a sinner and I've sinned against you. I believe Jesus is the son of God, that he died on the cross for my sins and that he rose again. And today I ask you to be my savior. Today I make you king of my life. I surrender my life to you, Lord. Thank you for saving me. In Jesus' name we pray, amen, amen.
Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the gift that repentance is. We thank you that you did not leave us on our own, Lord, but that you sent the Holy Spirit to help lead us and guide us and to remind us of who you are and the words that you've spoken to us, Lord. I thank you that this will be like a seed planted in our hearts and that you will bring the growth and the transformation and you will bring us into spiritual maturity, Father. Thank you for your leadership in our lives, Lord. We love you. We honor you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thanks so much for listening to the Crossing Church Weekly Sermon Podcast. Keep up with everything going on at The Crossing by liking us on Facebook, following us on Instagram, or subscribing to our YouTube channel. You can visit us online at www.thecrossing.cc. Thanks again for listening, and we hope you have a blessed day.